today's today's um, message it's um, I've, it's called this extraordinary normal life and there's something in today that is both I guess intellectual that you can pick up with your minds but also something about today that I hope you catch almost like a feeling in a sense that has been quite difficult to to convey just in words and so when I pray I'm just going to pray that you guys catch catch this as well but I feel there's something in this that can really can really bless us and I hope you guys are encouraged and you guys are challenged in just normal life in our just everyday lives it's a story you guys will know it well or you know the guy well for in the mid 1700s is when um, John Wesley was doing his ministry and John Wesley's ministry in the UK is what kick-started and launched the Methodist movement within, within the United Kingdom and then around the world in the States and, and further afield. And um, he travelled in the UK when he was doing his ministry, he travelled a quarter of a million miles on horseback and he preached hundreds of thousands of sermons. And secular historians, when they look at his life, they actually believe that what he did in those, in those generations, what, what he did there diverted the course of the history of the United Kingdom, that the United Kingdom was going towards something similar to the French and the French Revolution, and it's very likely kind of the, the deposition of the monarchy and the rising up and discontent. Um, but actually, this, there was this thing that happened in the UK, this coming back to God, this deep discipleship, this pursuing after the heart of God, and that was that was averted so we remember the man don't we we remember the ministry and we see signs of that all over the world i think the thing i just want to highlight is it's also good even though we don't know the details of all of them that there are hundreds of thousands of stories of men and women whose lives were changed by what that guy did that there were businesses that their entire business practice and morality of business completely shifted and changed marriages that were that were strengthened as this as the whole of society began to change in some way and began to come back to come back to god and so they, they, these stories are just normal people normal lives we we don't hear it sometimes we you can if you really dig for it you can find these kind of stories but i just find actually there's such a beautiful picture to remember that aside from the man and the ministry and all that stuff going on, there are normal people's lives being completely revolutionized and transformed. And so today we're going to be looking at a section in Acts, which is a story about a man and his ministry. But also, I want to peel back the veil a little bit and look into kind of what the beauty of the normality of this Christian life. So, guys, I hope that you're going to be encouraged today. And whatever normal life is for you, so all our normals, all our normal lives is slightly different, right? We all do different things every day. But that we just would be encouraged to be, that it's not Sundays, the Christian stuff, and then we just go back to normal, but that actually in our normal, we discover this thing of seeing the glory of God flow in our lives and bring that into our everyday. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're picking up where we left off, Acts 9.32. We ended in Acts 9.31 last week. So Acts 9.32 to 43, and it tells this story of Peter traveling around Israel, and um, he's in Lydda, 
in this area of Sharon. And then also the, the section ends, the bulk of it at the end, is to do with Dorcas and Tabitha in, jo uh, in, in Joppa on the coast. So I'll just read to you guys. It says, Now as Peter was travelling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralysed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing him all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to, used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, calling the saints and widows. He presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So there's a few things to take out of this story that we can learn. But let's just have a little run-through overview of what, what's kind of going on here. That You know, Peter, he's not fleeing persecution. Remember before and earlier on in, I think it's earlier on Acts 9, end of Acts 8, you've got kind of Philip, he's running away. They're fleeing persecution. Well, this situation, Peter's doing the apostly thing, going around, strengthening churches, building up churches. And he comes to this town of Lydda. So Jerusalem's here, Lydda's here. And see, Lydda is a town. Sharon is like a region. It's an area. It's like the Sharon. Um, and the Sharon is this fertile valley bursting with life and crops and flocks. We read in other areas of the Bible about the artisanship, the craftsmanship that happened in this place. It's, it's, I find, when I imagine that, it's just this beautiful picture of kind of maybe a tough life, but agricultural life, the beauty of nature, things like this. And I love this story that's happening here because it seems to be, and it speaks to me, of this visible picture of this fullness of life this normal life that we can be invited into with all its normality and beauty, its challenges in it as well, but where God is right in the centre of it. So it's here in Lydda that Peter, he goes and he meets the disciples there, he meets saints there, it says, and he meets this guy called Aeneas who's been bedridden for eight years. He, you know, he's not been able to get up or anything. This is a permanent fixture. He's bedridden, completely paralyzed for eight years. He lives, if you imagine that guy, he lives in this agricultural community. He lives in a place where, you know, to work and to earn money and being part of society, being part of normal life, you're going to be active and out. You know, he, can't, he couldn't just sit there and like, do some stuff on a computer or something like that. But actually to be engaged in life, to be engaged in that community, he had to be able to walk. 
And Jesus, through Peter, he completely heals him, doesn't he? That Peter, he prays for him. And then what does Peter say to him? He says this really quite interesting thing. You know, not necessarily what you'd expect. He heals the guy, and then he says, get up and make your bed. And that's, there's a significance in that little thing there that actually Peter calls him to something very normal, very, very simple, something that actually for eight years, even something like that, he's not been able to do for himself, something that others have had to do for him. And there's something within that that's deeply profound and beautiful where Peter asks him, get up, make your bed, this call back into normality. And Jesus doesn't just restore us partially. It's not just like, okay, you know, well, it's just, okay, you just get healed and then, and then go on. You know, in fact, you see in other areas of the Bible where Jesus heals a leper and he says, go and show yourself to the priest. It's because the priest is the only person who can bring that person back into the community of people and say, this person is now clean. They're back in the community. And there's something beautiful about that, that actually that Jesus and our faith and our, our Christian life, it's not just about the, wow, like the healing and then boom and all this stuff. It's about normal life, living with him in the normality of every day, this kind of wholeness of life. And so from this miracle, all the people in this area hear of it, and it says that all of them, everyone, comes to the Lord, that they all believe. And I love to think about this area, this kind of agricultural craft area. How awesome must that have been in those years, in those, in those times? What a place to live where every single person, I'm sure there'd have been mess ups because everyone's human, right? But where every single person is pursuing Jesus, where all the people believe in him, dwelling as his children. It's this kind of picture of the normality of things but with him in the center. So we're not all called to be like a Peter, to be a full-time worker, to be somebody who's you know, like Paul or someone like that, just constantly going. It just would, there would be no life because everyone would just be constantly moving somewhere. We do our work, maybe we'll do more, like, some more teaching on this another time, so it's very powerful. We do our work for his glory. There's a saying I, I, for, from the Businessman um, Fellowship, I think J.D. Greer said it, which is actually, to be, if you're called to be a businessman, that is just as high calling as if you're called to be in ministry or something like that. In life, we've got hard times, tough times, you know, times of celebration, times where it's just super mundane and normal. And yet through it all, we're called to be his disciples. We're called to live this life, not leave it at church, but live this Christian life, teaching others about him, teaching others about the pattern of life, making disciples. And there's something very different, but also very normal about it, something incredibly beautiful in that. So that's this kind of first section we see in Lydda, and then, and then we go over to Joppa here, this coastal city, it's a port city, it's the main port for Jerusalem, so stuff getting produced and shipped from Jerusalem was all sent to Joppa, so it's this trade, it would be a trading centre, it would be, it would be probably a relatively wealthy place, because whenever you have trade coming in and out, it's like this. The the gospel very likely first got here or some serious like growth and foundations would have been laid here by Philip. Do you remember in Acts 8 we were saying that on this road kind of coming down here to Gaza that 
that's where Philip meets the eunuch, he baptises him, and then he gets taken to Azotos, which is somewhere like over here. He gets taken to Azotos, and then he walks up to here, stopping at towns along the way, along the coast road, and this here is going to be one of the towns he would have stopped in at. So this distance from here to here is about 11 to 13 miles. And in Joppa, there's a lady there called Tabitha. Various translations will say, mention Tabitha, which is her Hebrew name, and then mention Dorcas, which is her Greek name. Um, and there's a significance in that to do with the time that's happening within Acts, where actually we're beginning to get this transition where the gospel's going and about to go out and hit, like hit, or fill the Gentiles, because later in Acts 10, it's everything happening at Caesarea. But there's something significant there that God, remember we've spoken about Jesus's plan from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the outer ends of the earth. And from here, as the gospel's taking place here, that people are going to be sailing and going off to the furthest corners of the known world. So this lady, Tabitha, she's just this incredible lady. They, some translations say she's full of good works, that it wasn't just like she did some good stuff, that continually, always, it was just like who she was, that we find some people in the Bible full of faith, some people full of the Holy Spirit, that there's like, she almost like epitomizes like the one doing just amazing, amazing good deeds. And then she gets sick and she dies. And they start prepping for burial. They start, they wash her, they put her in the upper room. They are on this path to burial. And in Jerusalem, you had to pretty much bury them that day. Outside of Jerusalem, you could wait a few days, get the coffin together, get the burial shroud together, things like this. And so she's in the process of being, being buried. And they hear that Peter's nearby and they send some guys to him saying, look, quick, come quick. And he arrives and what does he find? He finds a bunch of widows who are there. They're all very like sad and they're mourning. They're, they're devastated, they're broken. This amazing lady who they love, most likely they were some of the greatest recipients of her ministry. They're showing, they're showing Peter various examples of kind of clothes and things like that that, um, that, that she made for them. And within that, there's this beautiful, there's a lovely picture of Tabitha, just a normal lady, probably not, not super rich and never mentions that she's a big trader or something like that, but just somebody with some money, but that's actually using her resources to bless other people, buying cloth, using her time, make, making these clothes. And it's that kind of, we get this, this continued glimpse in her of, do you remember right at the beginning of Acts where it says people were selling their property, selling their possessions, giving to the apostles to distribute to anyone who had need. This kind of continuing on this generous lifestyle of the kingdom. And so Peter, he goes up into the upper room and there's all these ladies, these widows there who are, who are crying and they see that she's dead and they're, they're preparing her for burial and what does he do? He sees something different. He plays by a different set of rules. And so like Jesus has did in the past, he sends everybody out to get out, <laughs> sends all these people out, he gets down on his knees and he speaks to her and he prays and he says, Tabitha, arise. And suddenly she wakes up and the Bible says he presents them to her alive. Imagine that. Because sometimes the Bible, the way it's written, can sometimes just say stuff and it's just like, okay, that, that. Um, but actually imagine being in that room. That would be 
wild. If so, like you're you're upset, maybe the guy who's not really paying attention and he's come, he's dropped some stuff off, he's helped some stuff, gone out, comes back in, and suddenly the lady who maybe they all helped wash, who died yesterday, is now walking around in the room. Think how amazing that would be. It's this moment where the normal, like what they've maybe always known as normal, and this new kind of normal that has now come into existence meet each other. And these, it's this visible reminder of this new normal of life that we've all entered into in the gospel, that these guys, that they're children of the Most High. There's evidence there that death itself has been defeated. And from that, many people in Joppa hear about it, and many people get this glimpse of the gospel, get this glimpse of Jesus, and come to faith, come to believe. And I encourage you guys and challenge you, do we live in this new normal today? And then it ends with Peter going out to Simon the Tanner's house. And for him, it... You see this change in his heart, because the tanners, they're dealing with blood the whole time. They're unclean. Their houses had to be outside the city, because they stank. They were ceremonially unclean. But we see in Peter this beginning to change, even though he makes like mess-ups later on, doesn't he, where he won't eat with certain people. But this actually beginning to see people in this whole new light. And Peter goes and stays there with that guy. So, guys, what can we learn from this story? What, what is it we can learn? Because... Within these accounts, I really love these accounts. Luke, he's a doctor, isn't he? And he writes like a doctor. It's very kind of sciencey and it's exact. It's what happened like that. And sometimes it's good just to take a moment and just dwell on some of the, the natural human things that are going on behind it, the feeling behind something. And for me, I've spent so long trying to, when I was thinking of this just normal life, this normality with God every day, where it's not like the normal that most folk in the world know, but it's this new kind of normal. The best description I can give, I think it's, I think it actually comes from Narnia, to be honest with you, but it's do you guys remember when you were little and it was the summer holidays and the beginning of the summer holidays and you felt this kind of excitement and potential and opportunity and this almost like there was no end to it. Some, when you were that age, you know, like summer holidays just seemed to drip, like stretch forever and ever and ever and ever. For me, that's the best way that I can describe and try and communicate the feeling that I feel when I, when I see this this thing, this normal Christian life, this thing of peace and excitement, something where it's not burdensome, but also where it's not just like nothing's happening, that there's activity, but then there's deep rest as well. And so, guys, as we go through this, um, these three points, uh, I'm just pray that Holy Spirit would just rise that kind of feeling in you guys. So first point is live in the new normal. Live in the new normal. What do I mean by that? See, we've all come into a new normal. The Aeneas, he's, par- he's paralysed, isn't he? He cannot walk. He's, he is in a bed and he is never going to get out again. That, that is his normal in that situation. That's his normal. That's the normal for the world. That's the normal for the culture at that time. Nothing's particularly changed much um, to do with those kind of things. 
this whole area of Lida and Sharon, they've got this normal culture, the way just the way things are, and we all live in amongst that somewhere. That's Saikung, Hong Kong. We all have a way. The general culture of this is the way things just are. And I love this story because it shows the power of the gospel and Jesus in the gospel coming into a situation, into a place where it's this is just the way things are, and completely transforming it. And on one hand, he changes nothing, you know. On one hand, the gospel doesn't change anything. It's not like suddenly everybody becomes believers and be like, okay, we're all going, like, we're all going on mission, we're leaving this, and sorry, all you people who depend on us for food, you're going to need to find some other farmers, you know, that they, they stay in what they're doing. Nothing seems to particularly change in that place. They stay, they do, they do their life, they do their jobs, they do, they do their things. But then on the other hand, everything changes. Everything changes. Like, you guys have experienced him, and you know just in your life how when Christ comes into your life, everything changes. How much would a whole society change when Christ comes into every single person who's there? So he changes nothing, and yet he changes everything. So what happened to Aeneas as well, it's not just a sign, it is a sign that points to Jesus. Like, wow, look, look at this Jesus, look at this God. There's power there that calls people, that they see, they see that and they believe. They come, they come to God. There is a sign there. But Aeneas' story is also a bit of a picture, a bit of a metaphor in a sense of many of the people in Lydda and Sharon could be a picture for many Christians today that it's possible so from, from the text it very much looks like he's one of the saints he goes to see the saints and meets this guy Aeneas that it's possible actually in our life to be almost spiritually paralyzed and we can think it's normal but God has this whole new normal that he invites us into Aeneas he's completely healed isn't he What's that command that he says, that, that thing I just mentioned, make your bed, that Paul says to him, make your bed, and that it's just say, it, seems, it seems kind of bizarre, because many other times it's, oh, go to this town and tell them what's happened to you, go here and tell people what's happened to you. But in this moment, it's just make your bed. It's, the, it's almost within that, this call just back into normal life, back into simplicity, back into the beauty of the everyday. And that's where we live most of the time. And it's, I really want you guys to get that, that actually our everydays, that they don't need like fire and lightning and like, you know, legs growing back and stuff like that in every moment. But we do need to see the, the incredible, amazing wonder that we can live in, in the everyday. I want to encourage you guys that your work, your play, your rest, all these kind of things, Everything we do in life, they're not sideline aspects to the faith. Christianity, as I say, it's not like just meetings and I turn on the Christian stuff when I rock up at meetings. The, the normal Christian life is where things like our faith and work, our faith and our faith and our play and our rest and our hangout time with people, that they all weave together and knit together where we demonstrate him, where we have opportunities to share him where we discover more of him and live with him, even when it's not sharing our faith or anything like that, but just being with him and living with him in the everyday. 
And so, guys, it's important for you to see and understand that beautiful simplicity of an everyday life lived with him. In, it's a life of normal work. It's a life of normal work done for his glory. It's a life pursuing him in prayer because when it's only in prayer that we have this relationship with him that we have this communication with him that that's built all the time it's a life of action of stepping out in what he's saying of sharing the gospel of leading people to him it's a life of dwelling in his presence so that that joy remember the fruit of the spirit so that that fills us and bubbles out and flows flows out of us there are some people, there are some folks, and maybe it's for some of you guys as well, that you're called to a life that's a little bit more turbulent, that is a little bit more risky, you know, that, that is a little bit kind of like, oh, I'm not sure, God, if I can do that, because that's like a massive change to normal. But those kind of things aren't, they're not necessarily for everyone. There may be seasons of that. For the majority of folk, we are called into this new kind of an extraordinary normal life so the second point is live by a new set of rules what I mean by that is a new set of cultural norms what are these kind of cultural norms they're, they're norms of the kingdom If you, norms are like just the normal way of doing things so Peter he lives by a different set of rules that when he walks into that room he doesn't see a dead woman, you know, he sees somebody who is alive in Christ and calls just her back right there and then. Do we live by rules? And there's a challenge for us is do we live by rules set by the world? Do we live, obviously we've got to obey the law, okay, I'm not going question that, but do we live by like the cultural norms set by the world, set by our own culture and what we live in, set by the society that we're in? Because cultures change all the time, but the kingdom culture should never change. It should never alter. Do we live by rules that family have set, that family have put in place, that this is an expectation on us? Do we live even by the physical and natural laws that we say that is physically impossible to happen? We need the courage to live by the rules or the cultural norms of the kingdom. Because I say courage, because sometimes, not always, but sometimes that means being countercultural, and that can be challenging. And so, yeah, when Peter finds this man, Aeneas, in an incurable situation, he follows a completely new set of rules. It, like, he sees the situation completely differently. That, and we need to be like that, that we see situations from a completely different perspective. And in faith, Peter calls him to stand and that guy is restored that family would be restored but more than that that whole region is completely transformed by the power of God according to the rules of biology or physics or whatever that guy should not be walking should not be standing again it makes no sense but according to the rules of the king King Jesus who says I'm your healer I am you know, I was broken so that you could be made whole that makes perfect sense. It just is which rule, which normal are we choosing to live by? And so when, similar, when Peter walks into Dorcas's room, he sees her, this woman being prepared to be buried, you know, 
oh, maybe I won't interrupt culturally, that's maybe a bit off, you know, they're about to bury this lady, maybe we just like pray for her and go, okay? But he doesn't, does he? He, he follows the king's rule, who is our resurrection, and then he raises this lady to life again. It's kind of odd, it's strange, and it's like, oh man, that's, that's challenging. It just depends though on what set of rules we're living by. And the same goes for there's so many other things just in, in our lives. Is are we following what the kingdom says or are we following something that is counter to the kingdom? And many times in culture, other religions, things like this, there are elements and glimpses that follow the same as the kingdom. In fact, most, most cultures in the earth have certain aspects which were, are in line with the kingdom and certain aspects which just aren't. So guys, I'm talking about and encouraging you guys to like review the lens from which you look at the world every day. Because when we switch our lens to be the lens of the kingdom, everything's begin to change. Even our motivations change and we find a deeper joy in that. So for example, if you think about our work, are we, when we go to work and we do our work, which is very much in Hong Kong, a very big part of normal life, is do we see our work as the gifts that God's put within us, that we're actually blessing others through those gifts and talents that he's given us to see those guys blessed, but also to bring him glory through what we do? Or is it just to make a bit of cash? I just need to do this because I, I need to make a bit of cash. Do we work to make ends meet and provide enough for me and mine? Or do we do what the Bible speaks about? and says, says work so that you have something to give. So you've got something to give, you've got enough for yourself, and you've got plenty more past that. So the gospel reframes normal life. It challenges what we see as, oh, well, this is just normal, this is just how things are. And so, guys, I encourage you, meditate on these things. Ask God to reveal more of his kingdom and the, just the kingdom, the normal life of the kingdom. And then lastly is live in the real miracle, okay? Live in the real miracle. It's quite what we've looked at. There's quite a, there's quite a number of miracles right, in, this, in this thing. There's actually three types of miracles that we find in this, in this section. The first one, you've got the healing of Aeneas, where Aeneas gets up. Right? The uh, paralyzed man suddenly can walk again. And then there's the resurrection of Tabitha, Dorcas. And on the face of it, it looks like that's where the miracles end, that there is, okay, well, we're done there. But actually, after both miracles, after the, the healing and the resurrection, in Lydda and in Sharon, all the people believed. In Joppa, many people believed. And that is the great and third miracle that we, we see there, that people being reconnected to God Almighty. That is the greatest, most incredible miracle. You know, the, if we had folk here today who didn't, who, who didn't know God, that right now a miracle could take place where they are reconnected to God. And so the other, the other two miracles, they are in themselves like a sign that point back to Jesus, that get people to say, okay, wow, something incredible is here. What, what's going on here? That's, remember I said a few weeks back, that isn't the place where we live. We don't live in the signs. They're a picture, in a sense, like a mini picture of the gospel as well, a little picture of um, our condition or humanity's condition before God. So it's in that story of Aeneas, like Aeneas is paralyzed, 
before God, before everyone, we are paralyzed. Mankind is paralyzed before God. In, in the same way that someone maybe say, hey, Aeneas, could you walk to Joppa? Impossible, right? In the same way, someone said, I'm going to be good enough and I'm going to, I'm going to be such a good person that God's going to let me into heaven. Impossible. That we are paralyzed before God. That no amount of effort or want could ever draw us close to God. That it's the sin that we're paralyzed in, but Jesus Christ comes to earth and he pays the price for that sin. And it's like we are healed from that paralysis, that like the prodigal son and the father runs and God has done 99% and he's run all that way. But we are healed from that paralysis of sin that we can just walk into the father's arms. And then like Tabitha, we are too dead. We are dead. The Bible describes mankind as dead in sin, that death reigns. But actually now in Jesus Christ, life reigns, that we are resurrected in him. That we don't find resurrection from the dead anywhere else. When I say that, I'm talking about resurrection eternally, resurrection into his presence. And there's a, that symbolic when we do the baptism later of this being buried with Christ and rising again with him, this public declaration that we're saying, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. I am in you, Jesus. Remember, um, some of you guys weren't here, so I'm gonna share it again, but maybe a month ago or so, um, I shared a little bit about the tabernacle and um, that that is this picture of this beautiful truth that within the great miracle, that we are reconnected to the Father, that we can dwell in his presence that that is just incredible and we it's not just something new that suddenly rocks up with Jesus but actually right from the Old Testament right back when God gives the the Israelites different laws and procedures to follow all of which point towards this this great moment when Jesus Christ will come that mankind will be reconnected with the Father and so Within the tabernacle, if you guys remember, the tabernacle is a big tent, okay? And Moses is told you've got to make three pieces of furniture prior to making the tent. Three things which are created before this, uh, the, the dwelling of the tent. And um, it's the Ark of the Covenant, the Table of the Presence, and the lampstand. And each of these represents a member of the Godhead. That's the Ark is the Father, the seat you know, the throne. The table of the presence is where the bread of the presence was put, and the bread of the presence itself is symbolic of Jesus, the one to come, the bread of life, who one day would come that would be broken so that we could be brought back into wholeness, be brought back into relationship with God. And then the lampstand is the eternal flame, the fire of the Spirit. And so you have this tabernacle like a big tent that's then set up and these three pieces of furniture put into it so you got the ark there and then the table here the, the lampstand here and then also there's this here which is the dividing curtain you guys may remember this dividing curtain oh, right up there. Um, so you know which way around we're going this is the holy place it's like the most holy place and then this is the and just call it the holy place 
So it looks like, well, there's nothing else we need. You know, this is, this is God. This is, this is incredible. But actually, there's one more bit of furniture that they put into it. And you maybe think, wow, like, how could you add to that? Because this, this here is the eternal relationship, the relationship that existed before the foundation of the world, the, the place that like, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the most beautiful expression of love together. I just find that amazing, you know? And right into the center of it, they put what is supposed to it's called the altar of incense. And if you look at the... Um, at Psalms, in Revelation, other places in the Bible, it speaks about the uh, prayers of the saints, our prayers, as incense before the Lord. That this is representative of those people who have come back into relationship with God, that we have this incredible privilege in our normal, extraordinary lives of being able to live right in the centre of God Almighty, that we have this great privilege to come and be and dwell in his presence every single day. And that is what we invite people into. It's not about becoming a Christian or getting them to church and things like that, having a label. It's about inviting people to experience God, to meet him, to reconnect with him. And every day, and I encourage for each of you guys, every day, you can dwell in the very presence of God. You know, Paul writes, and he says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that at the same time as being hot and tired, walking along the street, teaching kids in the classroom, whatever you're doing, you also can be, that he is with you by his spirit and that you are also in that place. Because this is representative of the temple that came and then the new temple, which is us, the people of God. I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Imagine life lived where it's very normal, but also deeply spiritual. It's a life of peace and joy and contentment, but then also living by this completely different set of rules and cultural norms, where there's things like healing and prophetic wisdom and that kingdom culture being lived out in what we're doing. And imagine all of us, like this church, constantly living in a place where we are dwelling in the presence of God. And so I believe, actually, for many of you guys today, you're already, in some ways, doing this, you know. But just as we worship, as we have a, have a moment, is there some area that I've spoken about that you just need to come to God and say, God, I want to live in this more this new normal way more maybe there's a certain area you know from what I've said that the Holy Spirit's just spoken to your heart and just pray yourself just pray you know Father God just give me opportunities to live in that more give me wisdom to be able to live in that more Father God I just pray today Lord that that word God would just sit on each of our hearts, God, Lord, that it would both be something that we can process in our minds, but also something just beautiful, like a, a poem or a song. God, you, you say that our lives, Lord, that we are your workmanship, God, that we are your poem, your poema into this world, God. Lord, I just pray that, the, that, that there's something, God, by your spirit that you would communicate to us today in 
in the depths of our hearts and the depths of our spirits and our souls that we would feel it God and that you would you would lay out this path before us Lord that we would be people Lord taking you into our everydays Lord that we'd be people passionate about just dwelling in your presence Lord and that that, that place of dwelling in your presence and the joy and the peace from that, let that impact our, our worlds everywhere where we're at, God. And Lord, I pray that you open our, our minds and our hearts, God, to see your culture, your kingdom culture, your wisdom, your ways to live, God, Lord, that we would, we would walk first and foremost in those ways and not necessarily in the way that things may just be. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would speak to us now as we worship, God, as we take time in in peace just with you. In your name, amen.